Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. Uh, you're hearing my voice like this now because uh, we just want to apologize for the audio quality of the episode you're about to hear. Um, we're very confused because the settings have been exactly the same as uh, the last five or six episodes we've done, uh, yet my microphone is quite loud and distorted, and Felipe's is quite quiet. Um, so I've done what I can with my software to, you know, um, alleviate some of these high volumes. And it's not by any means unlistenable. Um, but yeah, it is far from the quality that, you know, the standards that I've set for the show. Um, we would, you know, think to do the episode again. But as you guys know, we don't script the episode. We couldn't just record it and say the same stuff again. And we think the content's really good. And as mentioned, I don't think it's unlistenable. But like I said, um, it's not the it's not up to the standards that I have of the show. Um, so yeah, apologies for that, and we're going to work on getting the settings right for the next episodes. So go ahead and enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. On the screen in front of me is my good friend, Mr. Felipe. How's it going, man? Hi, man. How are you doing? All good yeah. to you? All good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. And I'm Laz, your other host. Um, what's been going on, man? How are you doing? Well, same old, same old, gigging and teaching, gigging and teaching, so... <laughs> yeah, the never-ending cycle. <laughs> it's like seven days a week, no? I know. Well, listen, we'll, we'll dispense with the pleasantries, except from, tell us what you're drinking. Oh, uh, coffee. <laughs> I love that our three, that we've established over this one year, your three drinking options are coffee, beer, and sparkling water. <laughs> the holy trinity of drinks, of Felipe's drinks. Excellent. Right. Well, like I said, we will dispense with the pleasantries because I want to get on with it because I'm so excited about this episode. We are doing a band that Felipe has chosen, and that band is Thin Lizzy. Um, one of the most... It's funny because I wouldn't say people know a lot of their music, but they are known. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a band that when you mention the name, everyone says, yeah, of course, yeah. Or, yeah, I know Metallica recorded that song. It's not even their song, to be honest. But but everyone knows, everyone has heard about Thing Lizzy, but not many people know about, uh, you know, the 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 whole um, history of the band and yeah, the journey and how how important they are for 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 British music and for uh, and for rock and roll. You know. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, apart from a select few songs, you know, Boys Are Back in Town, Jailbreak, um, their cover of Whiskey in the Jar, which is actually a, an old folk tune. It's not Thin Lizzy's song. Um, apart from those, you know, select four, five, maybe six songs, then I don't think people really know much about their music, um, which which is certainly the case for me. Um, because before we get, you know, get, get, get into this, um, I've just had the best two weeks because... I've just I completely immersed myself in Thin Lizzy. I've listened to all the albums. Uh, a, f- a few I haven't listened to, but most of them I've listened to. Uh, I've made a huge playlist of all the songs that I loved on them. And my God, what a band. Like, they are yes. just fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, are you a fan, Felipe? Why did you choose them? Tell us. But I, I, I chose them because I, I love the band. I love the sound of it. And also, I, I wanted to dig deeper into their music. So, because when we're doing the show, uh, I think we'd, we'd not only talk about the bands we know really well, we do challenge ourselves and try to uh, research more about some bands we like, but we don't know much about. That's so, right. that was, the, again, I, I knew uh, a few of their albums and all their hits, but I, I just wanted to to 
research more about the band. So I said, do you know what? Let, let, let's do the thing, Lizzie, because it's going to be good for both of us. And uh, and I think it was a good choice. I think it's, the thing with them is uh, I like the fact they are essentially a live band. If you, yeah. if you analyze that, even some of the studio recordings, you can hear, either if it was recorded at a live in studio or not, but you can hear there's not many... Uh, there's not too much overdub. Uh, some some songs you hear a guitar solo without a rhythm guitar in, in the background because it's just playing as a three piece. And that's uh, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of my favorite styles of production. And um, there's actually a um, a band called Machine Head who I'm actually going to see tomorrow night. A heavy metal band who they, they released a very famous album in 2007 called The Blackening. Um, and what's so unique about it is that. Throughout the whole album, it is just two guitars, a bass, drums, and vocals. Maybe multiple vocals, but in terms of the the, the instruments, you never hear more than two guitars. And the theme of their music, which is really funny because it's the same theme as Thin Lizzy's music, is dueling guitars. Guitars playing melodies and harmonising each other. And for a heavy metal album and for a heavy metal band to only have two guitars sounding the whole way through the album was so incredible and unique. So I'll put, I'll put funny enough, people are going to be shocked when they um, when they open up the Thin Lizzy playlist and see a Machine Head song, but I'll put one in so you guys can hear the, the quality. Because what it does is it essentially does what Felipe said, which is it makes them sound like a live band. Because you don't necessarily need five guitars, you know, what three doing the rhythm, two doing melodies and one playing you know some solo doesn't need to happen and machine head and more importantly thin lizzy which we're going to go into prove that actually less is more in terms of production and how you record an album so do you think that uh, the fact that machine head and other like metal bands do that kind of harmonizing guitars do you think that's part of uh, uh thin lizzy's legacy Absolutely, yeah. One so thing. Weren't they like one of the first? You can never, you can never simply claim they were the first. Or any in any context in music, I've learned that every time you say someone was the first, well, you might find that there were other pioneers at the time. But uh, I would say that um, they were one of the first uh, famous bands to use that, or to even overuse that resource all the time. Have harmonized, harmonized uh, guitar lines. And, and yeah, it's very melodic, it's very interesting, and it's a big part of their sound. And one of their guitar players mentioned that um, Wishbone Ash was doing that at the time, but yeah. but Thing Lizzy took it to another level by just making it uh, uh, heavier. You know? That's right, yeah, I completely agree. And I think that what it's done is actually, you know... Uh, you all know by now, if you've listened to every episode, that if we're just boiling down what... I am as a as a music fan. Is I, I'm a heavy metal fan. Despite all the other music I love, I am primarily a heavy metal fan. And Thin Lizzy did so much in paving the way for some uh, aspects of metal music. Um, we'll go through it, you know, later because I do want to talk about their stylistic influences. But you can hear things in their music. You can hear uh, aggressive pick playing bass. You can hear uh, galloping rhythms. You know that aren't. Yeah. sort of normal in standard rock music and on top of that as you mentioned the dueling guitars which it's not like they used it every now and then it was a signature thin lizzy thing whether it was just the um one guitarist oh i need to remember his name um i got them confused with the drummer it's robertson isn't it yeah so robertson yeah. brian robertson 
in a few, I think he's so he was in the band from 74 again we can talk about the members and you can talk about it in a minute but there was a few different incarnations of the guitarists of Thin Lizzy you often had Robertson you'd have Robertson and Gorham I believe you also had um Gary Moore. That's it, Gary Moore as well. He did it with Robertson at some point. No, no, Robertson left, and then it was just Gorham and Gary Moore. Snowy White came in as a um, as a session musician. But the thing is, is that that dual guitar, one guitar playing a melody and another guitar harmonising it, um, that was just such a signature sound for them. And it has gone on to become... I mean, you think about Metallica, you know, songs like, um, you know, The End of One and songs like Ride the Lightning, where guitar melodies are doubled and harmonized as opposed to using another rhythm guitar. Iron Maiden have three guitarists in their band. Now, you might think that's overkill, but actually you've got one who plays the chords on the rhythm and two harmonizing. Yeah. And, and then the machine, sorry, just to finish the machine head thing I was saying as well, it is just dueling guitars is is how you call it because it's like they're playing against each other even though they're working together such a i wouldn't say it's a signature heavy metal thing because i wouldn't say it's you know every heavy metal band does it but it has become a huge characteristic of modern metal and when i say modern i'm talking sort of from the 80s onward and you and you can tell the thing lisa was a huge influence for those guys absolutely it's it's I, I think, but when you start analyzing that sound, you see it's undeniable uh, how much influence they had in heavier kind of uh, or heavier uh, versions of of rock. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, and it's interesting because they they pretty much a raw rock and roll band that that's just like bass, guitar, and drums. Because um, yeah. what was that? the first incarnation of the band had a keyboard player, but then that that was just that it didn't last for more than one album yeah, so, did he even play on the first album i don't think he played no, exactly. the first album. He, didn't, yeah, he didn't even play it poor guy do you know the story yeah. have you got the story written down well, do I, uh, well what i know about it is that they actually started well phil Linnert, bass player and singer uh was friends with what, what's the name of the drummer uh, brian downey uh since since they were like uh, uh really really young and they they wanted to start a band etc well they, i think they were playing bands at the time, and they were invited by Eric Rickson and Eric Bell from the band Them, which was Van Morrison's band. Uh, he, they were invited by those guys to 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 start a new band, which became Thing Lazy. Uh, but see, Eric Bell was the star. He was actually the star. I have a quote from one of from one of their roadies at the time, um, uh, talking about uh, Eric Bell, talking about the um, the fact that he he was. So this is the quote. My earliest memory of Thin Lizzy live was that it was just Eric going through his Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix routines. So <laughs> basically, it was it was that guy trying to be the new, you know, Jeff Beck or Neil Hendrix. Yeah. And he was, is, is a phenomenal guitar player, of course. And uh, so he was the main man in the band, but Phil Leonard took over very, very soon, I guess. And I, I think that's what actually changed the band and turned it. Uh, the band into what is uh, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, Phil, Phil Linnett and Eric Bell. I mean, I, I'd heard another quote, and I, I'm not going to say it because I don't remember it correctly. But Eric Bell was the guy that people wanted to be in a band with. Um, I assume he was sort of this up and coming guitar player. Um, and Phil Linnett, very quick, but Phil Linnett was also known. You know, he he had his own band that he was doing stuff with in Dublin. Um, and just a quick note, actually, on the band, um, they formed in Dublin in 1969. And here's something that I thought was really, I'm not going to say unique, um, but something that I think was quite important for the time is that the 
the Thin Lizzy had members that came from both sides of the Irish backgrounds in terms of Protestant and Catholic. And so actually it was a big deal for two people to sort of say, screw our religious backgrounds, screw what our families say, let's let's make rock and roll. And thank God they did. And that's rock and roll, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we're not here to fight, we're here to make music, you know. So that's, that, exactly. that, that's so, that, it, it's so important that music has this power, isn't it? I, yeah. I, nice. I think still has, still has this so, power. What would you want to talk yeah. about? Do you want to get started? Well, do, you know, you had some stuff. Well, I, do, I, I, I do, there's a, a couple of interesting things I, 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 I found about the, you know, the, the history of the band, and, and I really want to mention this. One interesting thing about them being a, a live band, essentially, which I said before, is because they they had an underground following that was not, although it wasn't mainstream, was strong enough to keep them uh, touring and gigging for years and years. They wow. only reached their peak on the seventh album or something like that, isn't it? When the when uh, Jailbreak came out. Yes, that's, that's when the like, success came. Obviously. Yeah, so they were selling uh, um, albums and they were doing fairly well, but what kept them going was the live performances. So when the, so when they the first release, let, let me mention this: the first release by Parlophone Records came in July 1970, and it's just there's a single uh, called "The Farmer," which if you listen to it, sounds like the band, doesn't it? It, does. yes. it sounds like R and B American music, doesn't it? And I've got that in my notes because I'm going to talk about the stylistic influences. And the, yeah, you're right. The farmer. I mean, I don't know if I heard a Thin Lizzy song. If we're calling Jailbreak the most um, generalized Thin Lizzy song in terms of what we associate with them with, I think the farmer is so far away from it. It's just so different, isn't it? But but here's 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 the interesting thing. I've I've noticed that. What happens with many bands is they record an album and they get famous by you know that specific style in that album, and they either try to replicate that or they deny it completely and release something uh, um, completely different, uh, trying to not sound like the previous album, etc., yeah. or, or just experimenting, uh, trying new things. Thing Lizzy, it sounds to me that they never stopped doing what they did on the first single. You just added more and more stuff to it. So there's a lot of folk music in it, and I assume there's a lot of Irish folk music in it. I'm not familiar with Irish music. There's probably plenty of it. Um, so they kept adding stuff to it without never stopping doing that. So yeah. if you listen to uh, um, how they progressed, so obviously they became heavier, they dropped the keyboards, and they'd start adding harmonized guitars. So then you have folk, and then you have heavy riffs, harmonized guitars. And then at some point they became more funky. So they're still doing folk, heavy riffs, and harmonized guitars, and some funky vibes. And they keep adding stuff without actually, actually uh, uh, denying what they previously did so i think that's one remarkable thing about them that's yeah that's a really good point yeah that's a very good point and um luck i mean you said you don't know much about irish music but luckily for you i used to work in an irish bar when i was studying at university so uh, every friday and saturday night they used to have irish folk bands come in and um so yeah i'm, I'm fairly well acquainted with irish folk music and then the melodies and the rhythms that you kind of experience them and it's it's and it's littered throughout thin lizzie's discography 
Um, you can hear it everywhere. Uh, every yeah. album I've had a bit of Irish influence. So that's it. So although they kept doing uh, different things and 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 changing their sound, they still kept the roots of Irish music and 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 their early influences. So there's a lot of that first single for whoever's not familiar with the first single, The Farmer. Uh, check it out. I found it on YouTube, but you can't find it on Spotify. If I'm not wrong, well, um, it's a weird we'll one. I think it's not part of the first album. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, please do. Here's an interesting thing about uh, about the farmer. They've pressed only 500 copies, but and only 283 sold. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a, so that's what I'm saying they were alive but they were making money out of gigs and surviving as a band with with no commercial success with albums or, or singles for a while uh, just one, one more thing about that first single I love the very first verse of the song me and my cousin Frank he's the one who robbed the bank Bought some whiskey, all can drink, and it's in the barn. So, so it starts, so starts about his cousin uh, robbing a bank and, and buying whiskey. How, how rock and roll is that? That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, you just you just started a segment. That is a solid. That is a solid. Uh... 72 that is a solid 72 but just a ballad about a man who t- robs a bank and uh, does all that stuff with the whiskey um talking about we, that we're gonna have another 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 of that segment today we're gonna have a double how rock and rose that today so after that so after that singles when the keyboard player left the band and they they continued as a three-piece band and 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 basically uh, um just just gigging more than anything else pretty much gigging uh, uh, every day of the week brilliant stuff that's that's really good um we, we did touch on the influences now i want to talk about their influences a little bit because we've we've mentioned the irish um and the folk influence which is so obviously and strongly there but what i also want to talk about is the the other sort of genres that are littered throughout their music so give me a bit of time on this because i just want to talk through it you just said there about the robbing the bank and the whiskey now several of their songs i've heard have been ballads and listen, people think ballads means slow song, a slow song that you can dance to. No, by musical definition, what a ballad is, is a song that tells a story. And there are plenty of Thin Lizzy tracks called The Ballad of a Hard Man, The Ballad of This. And these are stories. And there's, um, there's a, they've got a song called The Cowboy Song. And what I'm hearing from this is some very serious country and western themes in terms of a ballad. You know, gunfighter ballads. We'll put a song by Marty Robbins in the playlist called El Paso, where he tells the story of a man who fell in love with a woman and he got shot for it and that's a brilliant tune um but throughout the other stuff i've heard i mean as i mentioned before thin lizzie's influence and the part they played for heavy metal is actually quite important and i think you can hear it through a lot of their music you've got songs like killer on the loose thunder and lightning which are general heavy songs then you've got songs like well, these ones have little certain aspects of metal in it. So Cold Sweat has the guitar solo that literally could be from Eddie Van Halen, including some pinch harmonics. Um, the song Got to Give It Up, the production on it is very, very heavy. Uh, the guitar solo and the rhythms on it are all very metal influenced. Um, Warriors from the Live um, Live and Dangerous album. There's a rhythms in there, like which is just replicating Iron Maiden's famous rhythm. Um, so you've got that 
that in there. And the song Heart Attack, uh, the song Bad Reputation, really reminded me of Metallica and their dueling guitars. Um, and that's just the metal. Um, what else did I have? So the, a lot of their songs have the Irish folk influence that we mentioned. I mean, Whiskey in the Jar, Philomena, Sarah, Roycin Doob. I think I've got that right, which means Black Heart in Irish. Um, Wild One, The Boys Are Back in Town, Guitar Melody. Angel from the Coast reminded me of Jimi Hendrix, Castles in the Sand. Uh, the song Emerald, again, had the dual guitar melody, but it wasn't metal this time. It was playing Irish folk melodies. Um, and the same for the song Banshee, which I think is just fantastic because for for those who don't know, maybe we didn't make it clear, Phil Linnett is Irish. The band are Irish. They're from Dublin. And so to put in his heritage into this music, um, I think was something so unique because it hadn't been done before to put this amount of Irish folk melody into like hard rock music. Things fantastic. Uh, and the only and, other- and, and music oh. that was appreciated in England and America. So they were uh, um so being Irish, uh, uh it was probably harder for them to break into the, the, the British uh music scene and American, of course. But uh, because things were different at the time, it's not like you have all the technology you have nowadays and you just release something on Spotify and everyone can hear all over the world. You needed record deals, you needed like agents all over the world. So it was really, I think, a lot harder for them to 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 become a big band as they they end up becoming. Uh, and that's why it took so long. And it's interesting that they just never gave up. They just kept doing right. it and, and releasing and having that like hardcore kind of uh, uh, um, following, uh, you know, but but I would say that the people who were following them at the beginning uh, or the first, during the first three, four albums were true music fans, you know, because uh, yeah. they were not necessarily that popular at the time. That's, until, not, that's a good point. Maybe until Jailbreak, I would say. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think when you have fans that sort of follow to that extent, then you can kind of... When I say you can give them anything, I don't mean you can give them shit and they'd enjoy it, but you can give them any kind of music. And I think what I've just said about the various styles and genres means that they were able to almost experiment with their audience and say, okay, well, to what extent can we make, can we put Irish melodies in a heavy metal tune? To what extent can we funk this up? You know, just to finish off my styles thing, I've only got a few more. Um, I would talk about the heavy metal and the Irish and the folk, and there's a lot of blues as well. You know, there's a song, Slow Blues, Sugar Blues, nightlife um those were the styles and genres that i found a lot of going through their music but then there are one-offs uh these are the one-offs randolph's tango is a tango uh whiskey in the jar oh no hold on that's irish folk uh dancing in the moonlight one of their most famous hits really funky could almost be a disco tune especially with the saxophone um there's a song called the police which is fantastic as well and it's very very funky yeah, uh, and, yeah, and it's it, it's one of those, you know. So uh, it's Brilliant. from the uh, from the Shades of a Blue Orphanage, which is the uh, second album. So. That is, yeah. I mean, and and from what I've heard, a lot of the first album and the first single, the Farmer, R and B. American R&B influences, you've got The Farmer, you've got Borderline, even the song Fight or Fall, there is like some gospel R&B vocals at the end of the song. And I'm just thinking, my God, you to... to to have this, the the spectrum in front of him that he might have must have had, you know, I know they wrote a few songs together, but Linnet was mainly the primarily the primary songwriter and lyricist, and to just be able to seamlessly intertwine these multiple styles and genres 
and still at the end of it produce a, a, a metal or a hard rock track is fantastic songwriting, isn't it? It is amazing. And uh, the interesting thing is the band has gone through like loads and loads of lineup changes, but only on guitars. <laughs> so right, they yeah. had any, anything from one to three guitar players at the same time with different combinations, including, you know, big names like, like Gary Moore and like uh, Snowy White. Uh, but the, 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 the interesting thing is how can you lead a band being the bass player? Right, that's really interesting, and you can hear from the beginning, from the first album, that the bass and the drums are quite loud in the mix. It's kind of telling you who who are the bosses in the band. Yeah, no, I and agree. it's really interesting. Uh, maybe it's a unique feature of Thing Lizzy that the main guys in the band are the bass player and the drummer. Of course, the bass player in that case is the songwriter and lead vocalist, but. Uh, the bass is essential in the band. And if you listen to what they did from the beginning, you have loads of syncopated drumming, some heavy hitting like uh, Tom Phil's. Uh, and it's, it's, it does remind me a lot of Ginger Baker, uh, which the drums are not only grooving, not only uh, giving the, the rhythmic foundation, but kind of soloing, you know, uh, during the verses. So that that's that that's an approach that um, definitely puts the, 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 the drummer... Uh, um, in a different position, other than just the guy uh, holding the band together. So um, that, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, Ryan Dani uh, and, and Phil Linnett were the bosses. That's, that's what I mean. By you're, you're right. Yeah. And since you've just spoken about the drums, I'm going to just touch on the bass a bit because um, obviously, being a bass player, Phil Linnett was quite um, a unique bass player in the sense you know he didn't change the instrument or anything. But what he did do is obviously, you know, as you mentioned. His bass playing quite nicely complements his vocals, and that's because he never he never really overcomplicates it. But it is busy, and there is a difference between being overcomplicated and busy. Um, and just some, you know, you guys, I'm going to put all these songs in the playlist. Every song we mentioned, as usual, will be in the playlist. But check out these ones for his bass. Okay, the bass riff on Cowboy is fantastic. Um, the bass break in Jailbreak is also really tasteful uh, and got to give it up as well that's another good one i said already about the song warriors from the live and dangerous album he has got his bass you know and don't forget this is the 70s before steve harris and iron maiden never came out and you've got phil in it going which is the signature iron maiden rhythm um now uh, being the front man of a band is very important because obviously you've got the look to maintain and everything and he he was known for his signature black fender jazz bass with the mirror pick guard um you can see it on the front of the live and dangerous album um and he he was a very aggressive player he used a plectrum which some people might know as a pick um and he was always or not always but quite a lot of the time pushing into the next bar of music and that's where the aggression or the aggressive description of his bass playing comes from and for people who don't know what pushing is musically it's kind of like if you're clicking and you're going it's like the music should be going but he gets there earlier and that gives the, the music a really fast pace. It feels aggressive. It feels up-tempo. And he was notorious for doing that. And forget and the drums do that quite a lot. And this is what I'm saying in, in response to what you've said. The, the drums and the bass were, perhaps, this is maybe overstepping a bit, the centrepiece of the band, but subtly. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's got his vocals singing the beautiful melodies and the guitar, the guitars dueling with their melodies and doing their thing. But it so it's, a, it's, to a remain band, it's a rock band with a strong guitar presence, although the guitar is not the main instrument in the band. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. But just just one more bit on Phil Lynott is that actually when you think when, when you look at music profiles, um, he was actually the first black man from Ireland to achieve huge success in rock music. And that in itself is something to be hailed as, you know, really, really. Oh, in, in the late 60s, early 70s, what an achievement, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, awesome. Where did you want to go from now? Well, uh, I, I just want to run through some of the, the albums and some of the, the changes the band has been through because, you know, uh, I'm a pro. I've got my notes. You know, He's a bloody, this, uh, bloody pro he is, Felipe. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> can can I ask, Felipe, sorry, quickly, can I ask, what's the earliest album you've got down? Because if, if, if I've got notes on an earlier one, then maybe it makes sense to go chronologically, just talking about the albums. Well, let's, let's, let's go chronologically, because we, well, we talked about the first, uh, the first single that wasn't a hit, <laughs> and they, um, then they went to release the first album called Thing Lease in 1971, right, uh, by Decca Records. That was the, the record label at the time. And it's where you can find, really, the, the, that strong presence of bass and drums and very busy, uh, you know, drumming and the bass playing all over the album. And one thing interesting, like the, the vocal style, it's really already well-established from this album, isn't it? Because yeah. it's almost kind of spoken. It's not spoken, but I, he, he managed to fit loads of lyrics in a short <laughs> time uh-huh. frame. I'd describe it as conversational. He's still singing and he has notes, but it is conversational, isn't it? And, and isn't it like, uh, doesn't it add a lot to the element of storytelling that you have with Phil which, which is what I said about the ballads. He tells so cool. many stories in his music. God, man, this guy, he was just brilliant, wasn't he? His, his lyrics were like poetry. His melodies were soft. His voice was sweet. My God! And if I if I might say one more word to describe the, their music, I would say unpredictable. Everywhere, because you Everywhere. know those elements are going to be there, but you never know when they're going to come. And out of the blue, there's a drum solo, or after a really heavy riff, you have just an acoustic guitar. Like it's 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 insane. You just don't know where they're going to lead you. Like it, it's it's like it drives me crazy in a good way. When I'm yeah. just like, oh my God, where are these guys going now? It keeps, it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? It's kind of like, well, what's next? I, I, I can't just listen to that kind of music whilst I'm, uh, uh, you know, reading a book or whatever. Yeah. I need to be listening, actively listening, because it's it's insane. So after the, the, that first album, they released Shades of a Blue Orphanage, which is the um, second album. Uh, when you have, in my opinion, when you clearly have the first uh, influences of funk music, in, in, in the guitar and the, and the bass riffs. And the vocals are slightly more aggressive and dark comparing to, to the first album. And I think the guitars are getting more melodic. See, there's, there's a whole uh, a progression of the style there. And then they, uh, so that's an interesting thing about the first two albums. Neither album charted. Mm, so yeah. you got a band with a strong following, but never made it to the charts until this point. So they were surviving in the underground scene, gigging, 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 like nonstop. So only with, mainly with the Irish fan base. In 1972, they toured Europe and then they supported Slade in England. Wow. Slade was massive. So at that point, so that, that's when they, uh, they actually 
uh, uh, managed to break into England. So then the record label kind of uh, insisted that they they released a single with uh, Whiskey in the Jar. And the, the good thing about that is it, 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 it did stay in the top of the Irish charts for 17 weeks and went to number six in England, which was really, really good for them and the biggest achievement uh, until that point. But they were not happy to be labelled as a folk band. I see. Irish folk. And they were, because they released, you know, this this cover of a, a, a famous Irish song. So they were trying to shake off that 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 reputation and mm. do something uh, well, that, different. That album, um, so that Whiskey in the Jar is off the album Vagabonds of the Western World, which is actually yeah. where the first kind of critical um, acclaim sort of came to them because the first two albums, it's got some great stuff on it, in my opinion, but the critics didn't like it. You know, they, they, they've used words like confused and unfinished, disappointing, overblown and distressed. Jointed. Someone said they weren't lacking ambition, but direction. So it's kind of like they knew they this band knew how good they were, but they just didn't know which way to go. And obviously, for the, for one single, they went down the folk route, but then they didn't like the results. So they turned their thoughts to the sort of hard rock route. And then Vagabonds of the Western World, nineteen seventy three, brimming with attitude and dangerous swagger, as one critic described it. Um, Someone also mentioned that it's the first sonically satisfying album, which means that actually this was probably the first decent amount of thought they put into the production of it because it actually sounded good. Um, oh, and and it, it does sound really good, and it's got the song The Rocker, isn't it? Yes, that was their first hit, if you like. That was the first yeah. official uh, This Is What We Know Thin Lizzy as song. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, Brian Downing said that the, the Rocker sums up what Thin Lizzy was about you know uh, at at that time you know yeah. uh, so uh, um, uh, it, th- okay H- here's the segment again how rock yeah. and roll is that. So the song of rocker um, by Thing Lee's it's got a heavy but funky guitar. Chorus that shouts, I'm a rocker, <laughs> and drums and vocals during the verses. Like it's a drum break that the guitars and bass stop for the vocals. You get only drums and vocals during the, 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 the during a big chunk of the verse. And there's a two and a half minute solo with wah wah pedal and loads of effects. So that and it's called the rocker. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's all my criteria, is it? Okay, well, in that case, I mean it's kind of like it's kind of like Everything you've described is how someone who doesn't know rock music might think a rock song sounds like. So for that reason, I'm going to give it an 88 out of 100, because that is just rock and roll as fuck, isn't it? I mean, goodness gracious. And and then to call it the rocker, wow. (laughs) (laughs) The first, listen to the very first, like, first lines of that song. I am your main man if you're looking for trouble. I take no lip, no one's tougher than me. I'd kick your face, you'd soon be seen double. <laughs> hey, little girl, keep your hands off of me. So, <laughs> what a line, what a way to start the song. Rock and it's like, and it goes roll. because I'm a rocker, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, and it's about the rock and roll lifestyle. It's a bit of like, a, a, it does sound a little bit of, a, as, as, Almost like a piss take of that lifestyle as well, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's, it's 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 not uh, it's not like 
I don't know. It's not criticizing. I don't. But I don't think it's just trying to uh, uh, make it sound like you know we are badass rock and rollers. But it's just like, listen, this this is how we live, and it's a bit. It's a bit weird. We're travel yeah. makers, you know. We play loud music, and that's what we do. <laughs> and it's it's fantastic, man. It, it makes me feel like I want to be in a rock band. So that's that's. I think that that's what uh, that kind of music should should feel like. Yeah, excellent. Well, brilliant. Um, that that song as well. So the rocker plus my highlights from that album. Uh, Mama Nature said, "Gonna creep up on you," which is such an early version of heavy metal. I mean, listen to that song when you get a chance. Uh, a song for while I'm away. Whiskey in the jar and Randolph's tango. They are just fantastic tunes from that album. Um, following that came Nightlife in 1974. And can we just can we just acknowledge something? Albums released, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 76, yeah. 77, 79. My God, I mean, you yeah. know, one album a year for the, throughout the 70s. That's incredible. That, that's incredible. They were like, and they were touring relentlessly as well, which makes it even exactly. more impressive. The yeah. two main changes for me uh, when they came up with Nightlife is it's a new record deal. They were with Phonogram at this time. And they had Gary Moore on guitar, isn't it? Because uh, what's his name, Eric Bell, left the band. I so, think um, yes. So didn't no? Are you sure? I think it might be Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Yeah, let me double check now because I'm gonna I'm gonna consult my notes because we don't want to say anything wrong in the show, isn't it? No. And if we do say, just you know, just tell us off. Give us give us uh, hate on Instagram. Yeah, no, no. Tell us we yeah, don't Eric know Bell, anything. Eric Bell left in '74. This is an, this is an, uh, and he was replaced by Gary Moore, but only for a short period of time. I see. And then they got two guitar players to actually be in the band. Uh, and, uh, and That was that was Robertson and Gorham, right? Exactly. Fantastic. Interesting thing is, Brian Robertson was from Glasgow and Scott Gorham from uh, California. So you've got two Irish guys one one is, one is Scottish and one American in the band. So yeah, is, it, is it true, like a truly international band at this point? And they released Night. Uh, I think they did two albums of this uh, lineup. So it's Nightlife, uh, which has a beautiful song called Still in Love with You. Yeah. Uh, fantastic ballad. It almost makes me like, it makes me cry. Really. Well, uh, check this out. It really <laughs> reminded me of the song by Gary Moore, Still Got the Blues. Well, maybe he took the you know the idea from that. Maybe song. yeah, um, the, but that's a great album. I mean, a lot of people have said it's actually quite an underrated one because it's it's the one where actually then it's not so hard rock. It's kind of more relaxed. You know, people have said that it's an anomaly within their catalogue, a subdued, soulful record, smooth in ways that Thin Lizzy never were before and never were afterwards. And someone also commented that actually they think Leonard was trying to pay homage to his racial heritage. Well, actually, not. I don't want to say racial. Um, we're all one race, we're all the human race, uh, his ethnic heritage. Um, yeah. Someone has commented saying overtly into black music. And we heard in The Farmer about the, you know, the R&B influences. So, so you can wonder if they, in this album, if he's trying to sort of, not on purpose, but just as we identified earlier, the vast amount of genres he had in front of him, maybe this album was a bit more funny. I think it was one more step into his music journey, isn't it? He was, yeah. he was, he was always like trying new things and always tried to incorporate things to to the style. So maybe he got more into black music and and added that to to, to the sound of 
or thing leasing. Again, as you said, as you said, just another layer added on. It's another layer. They just keep adding, and it gets mental. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, the, so they, so th- those albums. I mean, uh, um, nightlife, and then after that, they had fighting in '75. That's right. Yeah. Where you still have the harmonized guitar lines as the main thing, uh, with those the same two guitar players, and then you have Johnny the Fox. In 76 those albums are not as important as the one that comes after does is- right just 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 for my own notes because my yeah. notes are different i've got jailbreak before johnny the fox but did it come after oh wait a minute am i messing up i, d- I don't know uh, I no, 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 no. i do have no uh well i do have jailbreak as after that but we're gonna well, check it. If anyone knows, let us know. Whatever. Um, we don't want to mess about. Those guys release so many albums. But <laughs> let's talk about Jailbreak, right? Let's do it. Yeah, it's funny because it's quite. A, I mean, it's it's a. I think it's a very happy album to listen to. You feel like the spirits are high. It has a nice folk vibe about it. There's there's a feeling to it. There's a happiness. That the production's great. It's full of rock and roll riffs. Um, it, it's brilliant. I mean, it's just fantastic, isn't it? Well, the, the, the songs are more up tempo and more uplifting, I guess. Oh, <laughs> in yeah. many ways. Uh, and and you have that like amazing, amazing tune. The boys are back in town, which is like, classic. Yeah, that is like the ultimate single it's just so beautiful you can it's just the fact that you can sing along and it's you know uh, uh, you have all those references to to friendship as well and 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 again to be troublemakers and all that stuff it's it's and i think it's it's is the amount of good songs. It's not only that. You have Jailbreak, you have Running Back, Romeo and the Lonely Girl, great song. Yeah. And obviously the boys are back in town. Uh, uh, boys are back in town is a shuffle groove, which comes from, from the blues tradition. And you still have the harmonized guitars and that amazing sing-along chorus. So uh, it's got so many elements that make it a classic rock tune. Yeah, yeah. And just, I mean, I'd just like to add the song Warriors, uh, Angel from the Coast, and Fight or Fall. I think, I think there's so many terrific songs on this album that it's hard to sort of, I, it's hard to single any out because they're all just so good. Um, and, and, that, and that's and that's the album that, that made them uh, reach the top 20 in the US, uh, selling about 100,000 copies, which was a really, really good wow, awesome. And it was number eight in the UK charts. So, Brilliant. Well, so this is their moment then. This is their moment. Yeah, that's their moment. Jailbreak 1976, that's the peak of their career. And you're right, Johnny the Fox is the next one because it was released on the same year. That's why I got confused. Yeah, I thought so too. I, no, I could have been wrong. Don't worry. Just... Yeah, and it, it, and it went gold. So it, it sold loads as well because, you know, it, it just came uh, uh, as, as, a, as a consequence of Jailbreak. So everyone would would buy of course yeah i mean the, the critics they said that it fell just a little bit short of jailbreak um but the, the thin lizzy fans love it i mean two albums in the same year with the same vibe the same energy the same feeling i mean what's not to love <laughs> yeah exactly you, you would it's not as i said it's not as important as jailbreak for 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 the band's legacy but uh, if you have an album that's just short of jailbreak, you should take that as a concept. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, let me tell you this, it's like this. You know how everyone shits on The Godfather Part 3, when actually it's a good movie? It's a good movie. It's just parts one and part two are 10 out of 10 movies, and part three is like a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10 is still good, just because it's not <laughs> exactly. perfect like Part 1 and 2. 
I love that movie. Oh, me too, man. <laughs> so The Godfather 3 is it's like, it's, it's, it's better than most movies out there, but not as, as good as the first two. So it's a great movie, but it's not perfection. Again, <laughs> <laughs> we take that approach to, to rock music sometimes. So, so it's, it's like Johnny the Fox is yeah. uh, Finley's Godfather 3. Felipe, <laughs> <laughs> if, this, if this show ever makes, if we ever become famous from this show, uh, I hope someone quotes that in years to come in like all these music history books. And and Laz and Felipe on, on the Rock and Roll podcast, they said that Finley's Johnny the Fox was comparable to the Godfather Part 3. Imagine. <laughs> It's a very loose connection. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so so I think they were one of those bands because the quality of the albums, uh, to put it like that, the quality of the songwriting and the performing is very solid throughout the whole career. Yeah, you're so right. Even you might think that an album is better than the other one, but it's not, like, ridiculously better. No, yeah, they have right. they have a certain standard that they managed to keep throughout the whole career, which I find maybe because they were essentially a live band. Yeah. Because they're always gigging. They are a band that is used to perform in front of an audience, and you know how good you need to be to perform in front of an audience every night. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, anyway, after Johnny the Fox came in 1977, the album Bad Reputation, uh, which I think is a really good album. I really enjoyed it. It's it's very heavy. I mean, it really has a metal vibe to it, more so than the others. I think it's probably the heaviest they've done so far, uh, or they had done. Um, I mean, people, you know, so now, uh, who was it? So Robertson left the band at this point, so it was just Scott Gorham on guitar, but it didn't matter because they actually did do overdubs on this, but only in the sense of when he needed needed to harmonise the guitar and do the dual guitar that Thin Lizzy is so known for. Scott um, Scott Gorham was then on double duty, essentially. He did both guitars. Um, this is what people had to say of it. You know, some some people said, critics said it is leaner and tougher than Johnny the... Um, than Johnny the Fox, partly due to the influence of the producer Tony Visconti. Um, someone said, it's a third stroke of genius in two short years, thematically resembling fighting, but more confessional, reflecting and spiritual. And I think what's interesting is that actually it's synonymous. It moves along with the rise in punk rock at this time. And you can hear that in the album. It is just a bit heavier, a bit punkier, uh, and a bit more attitude to it, isn't it? So we just added punk to the mix. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. God, it's never going to end, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some good tunes from that album. Uh, Soldier of Fortune, Bad Reputation, the famous Dancing in the Moonlight, uh, Killer Without a Clause, uh, Without a Cause, and Downtown Sundown. Um, but I loved, I thought Bad Reputation was fantastic. Yeah, it's, it is, again, it's solid. Everything they did was good. It's at least really well played. And that's that's an important element in music, isn't it? That's when a really good well, point. That's yeah. a really good point. Even even if the songs aren't great, as long as the playing's there, then you can hold on to something in terms of it's a good album. There's a, yeah, there's a reason for you to listen to the album, isn't it? That's right. And that is so. We are now in '78, isn't it? When they release "Live and Dangerous." My goodness! So that, I mean, what a live album. That's probably one of the best live albums of all time. 
I'd see, I'd heard of it. Um, I'd known of it because I've seen it come up in conversations of what's the best live album, and I'd never listened to it because I never knew Thin Lizzy. However, like I said last week, I listened to all the albums. This week, I've been listening to my favourite songs from those albums in a playlist, and then I finished it off a couple of days ago with Live and Dangerous. My goodness, I mean. The playing and the standard of musicianship there is just phenomenal. I mean, there's there's talk about overdubs, but Lina and Gorham have denied it. Do I care? I mean, it, the product is what matters, and essentially the energy was there that night, and that's why the songs are uh, communicated to, through, through to us so well. Yeah, and and again, they were doing what they did best, which is to perform live. So yeah. That is, that is the essence of Thing Lizzy as a band, as, yeah. as a true rock band, as a true underground rock band that managed to achieve international success, which is it's amazing. How how maybe that's the one thing about them. They added all those layers and different styles, but they never lost connection with their roots and they never stopped being a raw rock and roll band guitar bass drums and vocals and yeah. they kept doing that even after achieving success overseas uh which many bands don't do so if you were i imagine if at the time you were an, like kind of underground uh thing lizzie fan since the beginnings and you saw them reaching that level of success and you would still be a proud fan. You would still say they still sound like Thing Lizzy. They are yeah, still as well. You hear it so often, don't you, where people say, Oh, the band they've sold out. I knew them when they were playing the little club. <laughs> I knew them when they were playing, you know, bars to ten people on Tuesday nights and now they're doing stadiums to twenty thousand people. Oh, this isn't who they are. But you're right, man. You're right. The the, the sound, the attitude and the essence of Thin Lizzy from nineteen sixty nine to nineteen seventy nine, where the next album comes, has not changed at all. Um yeah. So following that comes the album Black Rose, A Rock Legend in 1979, which I find, again, is another very good album. Um, the critics didn't love it. They said it lacked memorable melodies and the blend of traditional tunes was a bit of a mess. Um, but fans of the band, I think, would be happy because there is uh, a recognisable sound there. It had a funkier feel. It had a harder rock feel. Gary Moore came back and it had its traditional rock riffs, which, which the fans were welcomed. Yeah, exactly. So it's still loads of of uh, classical, like classic, uh, uh, sorry, elements of Thing uh, Lizzy, Thing uh, Lizzy's legacy in there, isn't it? It's, it's all yeah. in there. You know, it's not. They're not. They're not. They're not changing the core of of their music. Never. They never did. Yeah. Which is. I think um, that the title track of that album is called Roycein Doob, which I think is is um, Irish for Black Rose. Uh, is that it? Black Rose. Now. Uh, Popoff, uh, a music critic, has said this about, which I think is lovely. He said, the title track is on a plane more in league with fine literature than anything as based as rock and roll. So that the track, we'll put it in the playlist, have a listen to it. It is stunning. It's about seven and a half minutes. It is full of Irish melodies. Um, and there's the beautiful dueling guitar solos, the whole, you know, from halfway point onwards. And it is really stunning. Um, and I thought that was a nice... Uh, a nice quote about it. And someone has actually said that they think this is Thin Lizzy's last true classic album and their most musically varied, accomplished and successful studio album. Um, do you want to talk to us about what was to follow? Uh, so that was, what's the name of that one again? Chinatown. 
Oh, yeah. 1980, yes, yeah. Exactly, well, actually, exactly. Uh, but then in 1980, we also have a solo album by Phil Linnett. Really? I did not yeah. look at that. What, what, what was that about? What was that like? It's, it's, it's called Solo and Soho. And uh, you have the track Yellow Pearl that was chosen as the theme for BBC's uh, Top of the Pops. So one of the most famous TV shows of the time. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. So it, it was a fairly successful, uh, you know, solo uh, um, album by by Phil Lynott. So it's a good one. And um, well, that, that's and, really... you have Snowy White in the album. You have <laughs> Brian Downey in the album. So it's a bit of a thing, Lizzie. Um, anyway, you have Mark Knopfler in the album and wow. Hugh Lewis. that's really interesting you wonder if i mean you wonder if releasing two albums in the same year one as phil linnett and one as thin lizzie might have affected it because this album is not you know chinatown is not very well received i mean funnily enough on my playlist the most songs i liked were from this album um but it was described as a letdown and a lot of blame was attached because Gary Moore left. But one of the reasons I think Moore left is because Phil Linnett and Gorham were heavily into drugs at this point. And, you know, Snowy White, oh no, hold on, is that the next album? Uh, yeah, sorry, my, oh no, 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 that's, no, I'm right. Snowy White was on this album and he said that he was a session man and he was quite frustrated at the amount of time that was wasted in recording this album and he didn't never said it explicitly but i think the hint is that obviously Gorham and Lina were so off their heads on drugs that maybe a lot of time was wasted uh, if the album if the album was called Chinatown and the solo album at the same time is called Solo and Soho i imagine he would spend a lot of time in you know in, in your neighborhood which is not a place famous for being uh, quiet and, uh, no. <laughs> and peaceful. Right? So. Um, but yeah, that, that I mean, like I said, fan, uh, well, not fans, but critics thought of that as a letdown. Um, I think there's some great tunes on it. I've got We Will Be Strong, Sweetheart, Killer on the Loose, Having a Good Time, Didn't I, and Hey You on there that I really enjoyed. Um, following Chinatown was the 1981 album, their, their penultimate album, which was Renegade. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything about this, Felipe, because you know it's generally regarded as Thin Lizzy's worst album. <laughs> <laughs> there's not there's a couple of good tunes on it but it was kind of a bit of a a letdown you know uh the, a lot of people thought that snowy white he was just so obviously a session musician and not a band member and they wondered if this hindered the process the, well i don't know because I, I i think it just it just gets to a point where you've just delivered so much as a musician as a songwriter that uh, is it that easy to come up with another great album uh i I think regardless of who was on guitar, with Phil Linnett's uh, amazing songwriting skills, you you should be able to to, to produce a good album. Maybe you, he was just not you know at the peak of his game anymore, and it, it, and it's yeah. totally understandable. Come on, you can't just produce I don't know that many great albums and expect every single release to be as great as the the last one so it's just it's just impossible really so i think the 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 legacy they left behind and everything they've done is just amazing uh just to to uh mention the the proper end of their career although there was another incarnation of thing lisi without phil limit uh um which they changed the name later but anyway we're gonna actually mention the the official ending of 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 
the official end of their career. So they've played the final UK show on the 28th of August, 1983 at the Reading Festival. Uh, and the last ever concert on the 4th of September and the Monsters of Rock Festival in Germany. So that was the end of Thinglisi. So from their first album, or not for the first, from, from the, the, the point the band started in 1969 uh, in Dublin uh, to the last concert in 1983 in Germany, they were rock and roll through and through. And that is amazing. Not many rock bands have that... Uh, 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 that I don't know how to how to explain this that like legacy or or I've used that word many times because that's that's how I see thing they they left behind. Uh, so not many rock bands managed to stick to their roots without getting stuck in their roots. That makes sense. So unfortunately, I mean, for those who don't know, Thin Lizzy ended. You know, I mean, Felipe said officially in 1983, but there was I think it's ended for good in 1986. Um, Phil Lynott died at the age of... He was only 36 when he died. Um, Sepsis, um, also known as septicemia, which is blood poisoning. And a lot of people have linked this to his dependence on heroin and alcohol at the time. Um, He collapsed on Christmas Day 1985. He was taken to Salisbury Infirmary, and that's where they diagnosed him with sepsis. Uh, He was put on a ventilator at the start of the new year, but then four days later, you know, January 4th, 1986, he his heart failed um and he died of pneumonia due to septicemia um and yeah that's that's the, the tragic yeah. end to, to what uh to an incredible career i mean the, the, what a musician yeah i mean uh, like, I, 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 he was a great instrumentalist like his bass playing is fantastic and it was also a great singer and songwriter you know you, you got some people out there who were not great singers but can write amazing songs or or can write songs and sing, but they're not that good at playing an instrument. And he was just phenomenal. It was yeah. equally as good in all those skills. I, I was going to, I mean, when I was writing it, it made sense to put it in. So I was, I was going to do a Laz Unleashed, but I, I don't feel like calling it Laz Unleashed because what it was going to be is, I was just going to say, Imagine what could have been had the band sorted out their drug issues, you know, because we only got uh, 14 years. And you see bands like Metallica and Maiden who are now pushing 40, 50 years. What if Thin Lizzy, where would they have gone? Well, despite what some people say about, you know, aging rock stars, uh, I still think loads of those bands still have something to deliver. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And who knows what Thin Lizzy would have had. Yeah, yeah. And so imagine, yeah, imagine what what Phil Leonard could have achieved if he, you know, if he managed to to stick around for a bit longer. You know? But yeah, uh, yeah. What, 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 what a tragic ending to 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 an amazing uh, music journey, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. I mean, did you have anything else to say? I mean, apart, unless you had anything else you wanted to say specifically, I just wanted to ask you your your final thoughts on Thin Lizzy. Well, my my. My thoughts are well. Basically, it's the same thing. I just want to. I just want to encourage people to go and have a listen to them because um, it's one of those bands that everyone has heard about, but not many people actually dig deep and listen to um, at least three or four of their albums. You got to go and listen to it because it's it's just it's just it's mind blowing. <laughs> I was going to say the funny thing is that you just said go and listen to three or four of those albums, and you could choose any three or four. In a three or four, <laughs> and, you'd, and you'd still get the soul of Thin Lizzy, wouldn't you? Yeah, 
exactly. Fantastic. It's yeah. Just, yeah. It's just a solid band, like throughout the whole career. Every single album is great for different reasons. And they are raw, they are rock and roll. And they've got one of the greatest musicians and songwriters of all time, Phil Williams. I completely agree, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, you guys know I do my little end of episode monologue where I tell you what I think of the band. And this is what I wrote down, why I'd say. Um, for me, Thin Lizzy had all the musical traits of a heavy metal band. Complicated riffs, dueling guitars, aggressive bass, fast guitar solos and the pounding, filling drums. Add to that the appropriate production, because on several albums, the production was so crisp, despite it being raw, that actually it sounded heavier. Um, but the lyrical poetry and the soft melodic vocals of Linnet, it kind of evened it out. It averaged it. His vocals could have been R&B or pop, but the music was metal. And that's why you put them together that you've had this beautiful hybrid of this hard classic rock. Um, now, add to that their wide variety of stylistic influences, your R&B, your Motown, the blues, the funk, the Irish, and they became a band quite unlike any other that I've heard, because you have albums where you hear a heavy metal song once, and then a disco tune next, an R&B song after that, and then a ballad with Irish folk melodies, uh, and it's just fantastic variety within their music. Um, the star of the show was obviously Phil Linnett, and to have any other vocalist and bass player would have changed the band completely which is why i understand them changing their name to black star riders in 2012 um and it's going to seem like a harsh thing to say but i feel like thin lizzie and again i don't mean this as negatively as it sounds but had the drummer died or had the guitarist died i feel like thin lizzie could have carried on as thin lizzie but because it was phil linnett who was the voice the image and essentially the rhythm of the band, it had to stop there. Um, every album had its positive and negative reviews, and that's something that I forgot to mention earlier, is that there were so many positive reviews of each album and so many negative ones. But I think that demonstrates consistency, because you're creating albums that have songs that some people like and some people don't like. And on the next album, the people who didn't like those kind of songs like the other songs, and the people on the first album who like those songs don't like these ones. And this just means that you're reaching a broader audience, and you're of targeting many different people and finally um despite their hits and misses and i mean this for songs and albums for a good reason this band should go down as legends for the broadness and variety that they brought to rock and the impact influence and part they had to play in the pioneering and development of heavy metal as we know it today um so yeah that that's why i have to say i mean what a band i've had the best two weeks listening to this man honestly i haven't loved this i haven't, I haven't found a new band that i've liked as much in a long time and um thank you for choosing this thank you for choosing them because it's, it's opened my eyes to a band who i only knew five songs and now i've listened to all of their albums and i've liked so much of it oh I mean, how many times have we said this? What a band! Yeah, <laughs> We're coming across so many uh, good things, good albums, and bands that we either didn't know enough about, or we knew, but we we just remind ourselves how good they are. Exactly. When we listen back to stuff to do the the the, uh, the podcast recordings, and it's been a pleasure once again 
Yeah. And, uh, oh my God, yeah, I want to listen to Thalizia for the rest of the day now. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the week, yeah. Um, excellent. All right, guys. Well, thank you once again for joining us for another episode. I mean, I've I've so loved this episode as I've, as I mentioned because obviously I don't need to say it again. I've listened to them for the last two weeks. I've found songs I've loved, songs I've liked, and overall each album has been one that I would go back and listen to. So I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us, um, Felipe. Tell them where they can find us. Uh, you guys can find us on the internet. That's right. A very simple Google Google the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast and you'll find us everywhere. Um, guys, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. I think we're doing an album, um, but you'll find out when the time comes. Um, so yeah, goodbye from me. Goodbye and uh, keep on rocking, everyone. And as usual, guys, take care. Long live rock and roll. Thank you.